Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. time travel movie is nothing to sneeze at. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is a time travel comedy starring Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter playing lovable losers Bill and Ted. It came out in February 1989, was a box office success, and made a big impression on youth culture at the time. That's what we're going to look at here today on the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out. If it's your first time, extra welcome. And if you haven't already since you're here, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. I should be there. Okay, here we go. So this isn't just about a look back at the movie. This is the approach I'm taking with this sort of, not just a review, but a look back at the entire movie. So my approach is I like this movie. I just don't love it. It's That's just always the way I felt about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It, it was no doubt like awesome. Uh, it seemed amazing, but it just didn't seem to be able to take, to take up the valuable or semi-valuable real estate in my mind devoted to other 1980s movies and shows I love. I want ultimately every time travel movie to be like Back to the Future, but I know that's not the case. But I still, again, recognize Bill and Ted as a culturally significant movie. It really launched more of that sort of surfer dude, skater punk not directly stoner culture into the mainstream. It To me, it was like a predecessor for Wayne and Garth in Wayne's World, and all the catchphrases just caught on like wildfire. There was no way you could not, you know, recite these sort of things or hear them wherever you went as a kid in the 80s. So don't get me wrong. I like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but to me, again, it's more like a silver medal winning recipient. So let's take a look back at the plot. We start out in the year 2688. The future is a blissful utopian society because of the two great ones. Not Wayne Gretzky if you're Canadian, but this is, of course, Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan, who have inspired the world with their wisdom and their epic music. We meet Rufus, who must travel back to the year 1988 to make sure Bill and Ted pass a history test. Turns out they were two dim-witted teens back in 1988, and he travels back in time using a phone booth, which seemed like a nod to Doctor Who, but if they don't pass this test, Ted will get shipped off to military school, and he'll never form the Wild Stallions, which was a band that altered history forever. 
Rufus goes back in time and finds Bill and Ted struggling to study for their test. Their paper involves understanding the specifics of three historical figures, which helps set our movie in place. Rufus helps them by unveiling the time machine, which allows future versions of Bill and Ted to step out to tell their past selves that Rufus can indeed help them. The first thing they do is travel back to the year 1805 to see Napoleon Bonaparte in action. A cannonball blast manages to send Napoleon... I guess, uh, back to the future with them. Rufus has to leave, but leaves the time, me- time machine behind for the two of them. Bill and Ted stumble upon Napoleon and then realize they can travel back in time to kidnap other historical figures. This way, they will be able to expertly complete the paper they have to work on to pass their class. The first people they go after are Billy the Kid and Socrates. They then travel to the 15th century in England, where they become smitten with Princess Elizabeth. They are almost killed, but Socrates and Billy the Kid come to the rescue, getting them back in the time machine, which gets damaged in all the big kerfuffle. This sends them way into the future, and they find out that they have become the true inspiration of the world, kind of like in a Caesar from the Planet of the Apes way. They realize that to continue this timeline, they need some extra credit work on the report, and they end up going back to kidnap Beethoven, Sigmund Freud, Genghis Khan, Abraham Lincoln, Joan of Arc. They go even further back in time to repair the phone booth, transport themselves back to the current age, and end up in that first encounter with Rufus and their past, present, future selves all together in one. The historical figures are now getting in trouble in the current age, but they round them all up and ultimately can complete their report. Rufus returns with the princesses from the 15th century who end up joining the Wild Stallions, the end. So what I found really interesting are the origins of Bill and Ted and this whole movie and the foundations of the movie and the two principal characters that almost were a trio. This whole thing started as a sketch. This goes back to 1983 where movie creators Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson were students at UCLA. Matheson's father may have been a big influence on the concept of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure as he wrote episodes of The Twilight Zone. These are, you know, some other kind of classic episodes that were usually time-based, but, you know, sort of all science fiction. He also is the author of I Am Legend and What Dreams May Come. The two came up with this comedic act of two morons for their improv class. The premise involves these two dullards pretending to know everything about history when in fact they know nothing. But this wasn't just two dollars. As I said, there were three. A third character named Bob rounded out the original uh, trio. Solomon and Matheson played Bill and Ted, but the guy that played Bob just wasn't into it as much as they were and ended up leaving the act. Ultimately, this would lead to the movie and how this whole thing got put together. The script was first written in 1987, but it was really focused on the specifics of their improv sketch. They realized this would either have a large appeal or die an agonizing death with audiences. This made it hard to shop it around, and they eventually found a backer in the DEG group. One of the first big acquisitions for this movie that would completely change the tone of it was the casting of Keanu Reeves. Matheson and Solomon had based Bill and Ted around wimpier, kind of 14-year-old 
dirt bags, kind of picture like Beavis and Butthead-ish. But Keanu Reeves brought a coolness to the character that changed the direction to more of that Venice Beach, California surfer dude style. This is where I have to get uh, Canadian and point out any actor that is connected to Canada. It's just this problem we have. So Keanu Reeves, even though he's playing this California surfer guy, was you know actually born in Beirut, but was raised in Toronto. So back to the whole tone of the movie, like the the whole thing is completely changed. With Reeves cast as Ted, they now had this different approach for the duo, and that changed what they were looking for in the character of Bill. And this is when a lot of top actors for the time came through, including Polly Shore, which could see work. It was thought that Biodome was originally going to be the third installment of Bill and Ted, but was abandoned and then adopted as a Polly Shore project. Brandon Fraser was in the running, could definitely see him. Sean Penn, of course, could see him. River Phoenix, all people I think could have worked perfectly. Actually, I could see them playing either Bill or Ted. Like they had a lot, they had a good pool of people to choose from at the time. They went with Alex Winter. It turns out he and Reeves had a lot in common and were able to build a strong connection pretty quickly. The other key casting in the movie was including the great George Carlin to play Rufus. They also considered many interesting and outstanding actors for that role, including Eddie Van Halen, of all people, Charlie Sheen, Sean Connery, Ringo Starr, which I could actually see working, Roger Daltrey. These were a great combination of rock royalty and brilliant you know, actors. I don't know about Ringo Starr, but they needed someone with a better comedic approach. And the producers of the film had just worked with Carlin and were able to secure him for the role. So here's some interesting early iterations of the movie. Since this was a time travel movie, there was a lot of focus on what the time travel machine would look like. This was the same issue that faced Back to the Future. And if you've spent any time around this podcast, you've heard this probably before. You know, in Back to the Future, they'd gone through various ideas of what the time machine would look like, including a refrigerator at one point to transport Doc and Marty through time. But then it was thought kids might start locking themselves in fridges. And then if you remember that infamous fridge episode from Punky Brewster, you know, this was no way to go. With Back to the Future, they decided that if you want want to go back in time, you had to be mobile. And they went with the idea of a car. An early version of the movie also included a vehicle, specifically a 1969 Chevrolet van. But this looked too much like a DeLorean. So they didn't want any direct comparisons to Back to the Future. They ended up going with the phone booth, with the thinking that phone booths were everywhere, so this would make for an easily accessible portal. If you're under 30, you probably have to ask your parents what a phone booth is. One of the earlier versions of the movie would also include Nazi Germany. This version also existed with them driving the van as the time machine um, was going to be, again, like I said, a mobile unit that would be able to let them go wherever they wanted uh, in the land. And then the one of these original plans involved them bringing Hitler back to the future. They then swapped this out for Napoleon, which was probably a good idea. Okay, now they have to get this movie out to the public. It would take two years to finally get Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure into the local cineplexes. That DEG group I mentioned was ready to get the movie out there, but just before it was released, that group went bankrupt and was shut down. It's probably why you never heard of DEG group. 
So this movie was put into an indefinite hiatus. They were so desperate that they considered releasing Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure as a cable TV movie, which, I mean, now today, of course, that's completely commonplace and you know, not even including everything that's directly released to streaming services. But like back in these days, that would have been the absolute kiss of death. And that would have been them throwing the towel in. It's like going straight to video. We all know that's not great. Of course, we know, you know, the best entertainment we have now is the made for TV stuff, even though it's, you know, not directly always on your cable. But again, back then, this would have just sunk the thing completely. This wasn't made for TV. That's the problem. Despite its low budget, it was a genuine cinematic film. In 1989, Orion Pictures, who is also no longer with us, would jump in at the last minute to save the day, and they bought the movie. They had just released RoboCop, which was also a bit of a gamble. So they thought, why not? And they released Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. One issue... Uh, is that, you know, it had been two years since the movie was filmed. It's just sitting in the can waiting. So the problem now is Keanu Reeves didn't look really like his character, especially the long surfer hair sort of look. So he would have to wear a very convincing wig while putting out new promotional materials to try to replicate the look from when they filmed. So let's look at the reception to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So again, with the, so the whole premise of this episode being, I'm not totally enamored with this movie, but I recognize the significance of it. The response was really great. Again, I don't know how old you are if you were kind of in the wheelhouse for when this came out, but it was huge. You know, critics didn't necessarily love it either, but that was not the intention of this type of movie. Bill, you know, kind of a dumb and dumber for its day. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was more about capturing those classic tropes of things like Monty Python more than being a science fiction film that had comedy elements the way Back to the Future was. That makes it really tough to kind of advertise and promote something like this. You know, with Back to the Future coming out in 1985, it was, you know, a standout of the decade and, you know, set the standard for you know, what a science fiction movie could be as far as, you know, the comedy elements and the the time travel and all that sort of thing. And just how like fun that could all be made. So you, you got a real, you know, battle against you when you're trying to be a time travel movie, but they really had to push that it was more of a, a comedy than a science fiction film. They were never trying to replicate anything similar to Back to the Future. But, you know, if you're putting out a time travel movie in the late 80s, it was just impossible not to be compared. What made this film so significant and what made it stand out and catch on were the iconic catchphrases and, again, that great chemistry and creation of the characters by Reason Winter. So, obviously, the phrases like excellent and bogus and triumphant and bodacious and dude and all that stuff became just absolute staples of youth culture. And as great as, you know, Back to the Future is, it just didn't have that sort of thing. So... Once the movie started, you know, getting going, all the promotional stuff was just all related to sort of that like iconic phrasing they created. And that was just spreading absolutely everywhere. And then it was also like the infectious energy and charm of the characters easily rubbed off on impressionable youth and took that, you know, surfer valley culture to a broader audience. Again, this happens every so often with other movies where that style of speech and the catchphrases really resonate with younger audiences. Like just thinking back, like 
clueless again wayne's world where i mentioned you know they just sort of stick with the with the society bill and ted's excellent adventure came out on february 17th 1989 opening alongside some other classics like the fly 2 interesting connection with back to the future it the fly 2 starred the original marty mcfly eric stoltz also that weekend major league came out and the burbs Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure would make around $40.5 million, which converted for today is around $85 million. Not a monster hit, but really good for what is technically a comedy and really good when you consider what a narrow audience it really appealed to. You know, my parents would see Back to the Future. They weren't going to go see Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So they really sort of limited themselves, but it still did really well. It was also made for only $6.5 million, so it ended up being a really great moneymaker for Ryan. So now we sort of look into the future of Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted's bogus journey would come out a few, few years later, as did a few seasons of, if you remember this, an animated series. And then you may or may not remember this, but there was a live action series in the 90s, which before I was looking back on this, I completely forgot about. But... The problem is, like, you know, say, like, with the Clueless show, if you remember that, they did a live-action show. When you don't have the original characters reprising the roles, it's always going to fall short. And then, of course, there's Bill and Ted Face the Music. And there had been talks of a third edition of this franchise for years. And it would just never seem like it would happen. Then in 2020, it happened. And the movie was uh, written by the original original um, creators of Bill and Ted, Chris Matheson and Ned Solomon. So it's technically a sequel to Bill and Ted's bogus journey. And of course, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves are back. Um, you know, they, they're following kind of the same um, premise and, and just it more, more of like a, a capture and nostalgia. It had been enough time that you could go back to like a hot property like this and, and people will be kind of into it. The problem is it wasn't released during the best time ever when it came out on August 28th, 2020. So it didn't make a lot of money, which isn't its fault. Uh, it's hard to say if this movie had been two or three years earlier or a couple years from now, would it have done better? Um, I don't know. I think sometimes there's this sort of sweet spot for nostalgia returns. And just thinking example of like looking at that Ghostbusters afterlife movie that's coming out and, you know, the original Ghostbusters coming out in 1984, it's been quite a while, um, you know, and a little less time with Bill and Ted's actual adventure. And I think there's this point where you miss the chance to release a movie like that. So, I mean, it's hard to say. The movie went over okay, and, you know, people liked it. I think they liked it as, you know, a return and remembering, all like, what a great time that was in the late 80s. Um, you know, it's kind of easy to market that. But, again, the not their fault, just the release timing was terrible like it was for all their movies, and they just had to, like, go with it, where a lot of others were delaying into later dates. The thing is, like, a lot of critics actually liked the movie, and it had a lot of really good ratings and did really well on Rotten Tomatoes and places like that. So, again, who knows if they had just, you know, released this at a different point, but, you know, what can you do? So I'll start winding it down here. And, and to me, like I said, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is good. 
not to me not amazing and it's great in that it created a lot of pop culture significance and was able to infiltrate for better or for worse the speech of a generation of kids the characters are still great the performances are awesome but for me it's just not a go-to movie in my books Either way, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure can only be seen as a success and an influential part of the late 1980s. So I'll finish it there. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Um, if you haven't seen it for a while, go back and check it out. It, if you haven't seen it for a while, it I'm going to say it's not going to hold up as good as you think unless you're just like and that absolutely enamored with it. But, you know, it might be a little bit better if it's been quite a while for you but it's at least a perfect nostalgia trip and it's a good uh, sort of you know trip down memory lane to remember that that era of movies but thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode hopefully you enjoyed it again if you haven't already make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast i'll be there and i will be back soon with a new episode don't you dare miss it